Amen. Well, it's good to know God is able because today I'm starting a new series and it's called Desert Wanderings. Uh, I don't know about you, but it feels like we've been 40 years in this uh, desert of COVID-19 or something like that. At least that's what it feels like. Maybe it's been 40 weeks. I don't know. But uh, we, uh, we know that God is able to deliver. And that's really what this message this morning is all about. It's about the great escape. And so uh, uh, why don't we uh, turn in our Bibles to Exodus chapter 14. That's what we're going to look at. Great escape from there. Alcatraz, the name synonymous with inescapable prison. Uh, it was a maximum security prison uh, from 1934 to 1963. It's located on an island just three kilometers off the coast of San Francisco. And um, even though it was considered to be inescapable, three guys short- dared to try. Frank Lee Morris and John and Claire Aglin uh, dug through the concrete in their cell with a spoon. <laughs> and, uh, and then they, once they got through that wall, they, they made some paper mache dummies and they put them in their beds and they even got hair from the barber shop in the prison, put it on the dummies and uh, pretended that, and they put those dummies in their beds just to allow themselves to escape, uh, a little more time to escape. Then they climbed their way through some, uh, ventilation shafts and finally made it out to of course the open sea uh where but they had they thought ahead and they had made a a a rubber dinghy out of raincoats can you believe it anyways uh then they set out for the mainland uh the the guards didn't even notice they were gone until morning when they did they rang the bells and sounded the alarm and went off searching searched the whole island of course searched the bay and uh, never found them and to this day nobody really knows what happened um of course the federal authorities and the fbi say well these three guys drowned but there's these reports that they survived and in fact uh, somebody sent a letter saying that he was dave uh or john angrelin and said yeah i made it and i'm alive Uh, my brothers have or my brother's now dead and so is my friend but now I'm 83 and I'm still alive. That was in 1918, 19, or 2013. And then in 2016, this photograph showed up, uh, alleged, taken in, in 1975, uh, that these brothers had made it to uh, Brazil. Who knows? You know, four years ago, there was these in- inmates that escaped Walker County Jail, Walker County Jail in Alabama. They. <laughs> They did an ingenious thing. There was a sign on this door that said, exit, do not open. Um, and, but what, the, what these guys did is they took some peanut butter and they covered over the sign on the door. And then they asked a guard to open the, open the cell door. And the guard, not realizing it, was, realizing it was a door to the outside, unlocked it and walked away. <laughs> and these 12 guys escaped. Uh, crazy. Uh, but my favorite escape story... It happened in 1971. It's Frank Abagnale. Ugh, I butchered his name. Abagnale. Anyways, Frank, notorious uh, fraudster and imposter. He was caught and jailed in April 1971. And uh, at the time, the U.S. government was uh, doing uh, like spot checks in the prisons to ensure that they were uh, not violating 
um, you know, civil rights issues. And so Frank seizes this opportunity and he starts dropping hints here and there that he's a federal agent in disguise. He, he doesn't go out and blurt it anywhere, but he just drops enough hints that the guards figure it out. They're like, oh, he's actually a federal agent. We better be nice to him. And so they're super nice to him. And, uh, and then he gets uh, someone on the outside to make him a card that says he's FBI. He somehow smuggles that in, has the card on him, shows the authorities, said, well, okay, uh, your prison passes. Uh, it's time for me to go. Great job, guys. Keep up the good work. And uh, so the prison guards open all the doors and out he goes. <laughs> I just love it. It's hilarious. <laughs> Uh, stories like these capture our imagination. We wonder, would we be smart enough to be able to get out this way or do something ingenious like this? Uh, and of course, this has started a whole craze in our, in our entertainment. Like we have these things called escape rooms now where you can pretend to be the criminal and try to escape. That's <laughs> a lot of fun. Uh, but one of the biggest problems with escaping isn't actually getting out of the prison. It's actually what you do once you're outside the walls. What do you do then? Because 95% of all criminals who actually make it out get caught within the next few weeks. Uh, In fact, I was looking at the stats on POWs in World War II. And while thousands of people escaped from the prisons they were in, only a handful actually made it back to their home countries. Uh, it's quite crazy. Um, the Great Escape, which uh, is the name of this sermon, but it's actually an event that happened in uh, World War II during the 1940s when uh, a bunch of Allied soldiers escaped from the German uh, concentration camp. Uh, they dug a tunnel under the wall, um, and 74 of them made it out of the prison. Unfortunately, most of those 74 were captured or killed, and only three actually made it back to uh, to England or wherever they were from. Um, Well, today we're going to look at one of the greatest escapes of all time. Uh, It's called the Exodus, and of course, it's found in the Bible. Uh, So if you have your Bible, please turn with me to Exodus chapter 14. Uh, The preceding seven chapters describe how God miraculously freed the Israelites, uh, giving one plague after another in the Old Testament there, and uh, just decimating Egypt. And finally, with the killing of the firstborn sons of Egypt, uh, the Israelites were basically pushed out of Israel. The, the Egyptians just said, well, get out of here. We don't want to see your face anymore. Uh, but today, we're actually looking at the recapture attempt. You see, the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Harioth between Migdol and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea, directly opposite Baal-Ziphon. And Pharaoh will think, oh, the Israelites are wandering around in the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord." So the Israelites did this. And sure enough, Pharaoh and all his his officials, they changed their minds like, what have we done? You know, like we have to go after them. We've lost uh, all this uh, entrepreneurial power of the Israelites. And so he got his chariot ready and he took his whole army with him. And he particularly picked out 600 of the best chariots that he had. And off they rode with all the officers of Egypt. Uh, 
and, and all the horses and, and the, the troops, uh, they pursued after the Israelites, and they overtook them as they camped near Pi-Harioth, opposite Baal-Zephon. And as Pharaoh approached, you can imagine what happened in the Israelite camps. The Israelites look up and they see this vast army coming them uh, uh, across the desert on horses and chariots and all the implements of war at the time. Uh, and they were terrified. And they cried out to the Lord. And they said to Moses, Was it because there's no graves in Egypt that you brought us into this desert to die? What have you done to us, bringing out of, us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you when we were still in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better if we had served the Egyptians in Egypt than to die out here in the desert. Boy, they were in a predicament. They were terrified. Have you ever been in a predicament? Maybe a predicament that terrifies you. Uh, we have a lot of word pictures in English for predicaments, right? Uh, you sure painted yourself into a corner is one of the predicaments. I've actually done that. <laughs> so, not exactly, but almost. <laughs> uh, ever been caught between a rock and a hard place? I've done that, definitely. Ever had your back up against the wall or been in a pickle? These are all the ways we explain what a predicament is. But I love Charles Swindoll's explanation of what a pickle is. He says, a pickle or a predicament is a lawyer who specializes in suing doctors for mal medical malpractice and then finds himself needing major surgery. <laughs> That's a predicament. <laughs> Moses and all the people of Israel were in such a predicament. They found themselves trapped between Pharaoh's army charging down the hills towards them and the Red Sea. Nowhere to go. Um, so I hope that you're not quite like the nine-year-old who heard this message uh, about the Pharaoh's army coming after the Israelites in, in uh, Sunday school class. And this nine-year-old Joey was asked by his mom, so what did you learn uh, in, in Sunday school today? And Joey says, well, mom, we, our teacher told us how God sent Moses behind enemy lines on a rescue mission to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. And when he got to the Red Sea, he had his engineers build a, a pontoon bridge, and the people all walked across it safely. And when the Egyptians tried to cross the bridge, he got on his walkie-talkie and called in for, uh, for an airstrike. And they sent bombers, and they blew up the bridge, and all the, Israelites, all the Egyptians were drowned, and the Israelites were saved. And his mother goes, Joey, is that really what the teacher taught you today? Joey says, well, no, Mom. But if I told you the way the teacher told it, you'd never believe it. <laughs> so, <laughs> you're right. A lot of people don't believe it. They're just like, really? Walls of water standing up on end? Come on. But you know what? For those who understand that God is the creator of the heavens and the earth, we have no issues with the biblical account. Today's passage has four things that teach us about God's plans. Number one, God's plans often take us directly into the predicament, right? Have you ever experienced that? You're just cruising along merrily, and then God just decides to send you into a predicament. And you're like, ah, I didn't ask for this. What's going on? Uh, in Exodus 14, verse 1 and 2, the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and camp near Pi-Haroth between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite 
Baal Zephon. God ordered that the Israelites, instead of keeping on moving towards the promised land, that they turn around and head back to Egypt and then camp in a certain spot. Like, why would you do that? Like, why would you go back to where the enemy is? The Israelites were, in fact, asked to backtrack and go in the same direction they just traveled. Their, their course was to take a direction which, in a very short time, would place them with the Dead Sea on one side, on the other side, a trackless wilderness, and in front of them, in the, uh, mountains, and then behind them, the army of Egypt. They were boxed in with no escape. It's like running from your life by, from criminals or something, you know, and you're running down the street, and then you, you quickly duck into an alleyway only to find that it's a dead end, you know. And, except that in this case, God told them to go to the dead end. Like, what? What's God doing? You've got to understand that it, they were led to the place they were now in. They, they weren't led there by Moses, not by coincidental wanderings. No, they were led by God himself. A pillar of fire and smoke led them to the exact place where they were now trapped. F.B. Meyer says, Often God seems to place his children in positions of profound difficulty, leading them into a wedge where there's no escape. Designing a situation that no human judgment would permit and had it been previously consulted. And every cloud, the very cloud, directs them to that spot. You may be involved in a situation like this right now. It does not seem perplexing. It does seem perplexing and mysterious to the last degree, but it is perfectly right. The issue will more than justify him who brought you there. It is a platform for the display of his almighty grace and power. Not only will he deliver you, but in doing so, he will give you a lesson that you will not easily forget. I love that. A few weeks ago, I shared about my predicament that I was in when I got my doom buggy stuck out in the middle of the hinterlands of BC, out in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) I was in big trouble. And after exhausting all my ingenuity and all my strength, I realized that the only option was to cry out to God. And believe me, he gave me a lesson I will never forget when he rescued me that day. But that kind of predicament, that kind of rescue, help us have faith the next time that we get a, a predicament. Take COVID-19, for instance, bit of a predicament, lost work, lost connections, lost freedom, all kinds of problems, lost health. And when these things happen, we need to remember the stories from the Bible. We need to remember what God did in the past. I need to remember how God rescued me that day and how God's rescued me multiple times. We need to remember these things. God, and secondly, so, so the, the first one is God plan often take us, takes us directly into the predicaments. The second one is that God's plans are always made in advance. God figures it out beforehand. And he decides, okay, well, we're going to, it's like a chess player, you know, we're going to move this pawn over here, and we're going to move this one over there, and that one over there, and then all of a sudden the trap will be set. And when you're playing chess, you always make it look like you're falling for the other person's trap. When in fact, you're making a trap for the other person. And that's exactly what God did in this instance. Uh, God was not surprised by the events that were happening. He knew the end before it even began. In verse 3, we're told, Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has hemmed them in. 
Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart. See, God is right involved in this so that he will pursue them. And I will gain gain honor over Pharaoh and all of his army that the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And so they did it. Notice that God says to Moses, you know, look, here's the plan. And in the plan is for the Israelites to look like they're trapped and for for Pharaoh to come after the Israelites. That that sounds like a really bad plan, you know, like, oh yeah, we're bait. You know what happens to bait when, you know, the mice come uh, or the animal comes to the bait? The bait gets eaten, you know? uh, But that's God's plan. Notice in verse 8 that he says, God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. It happened exactly the way God planned it so that he pursued the Israelites who who were marching out boldly. But the Israelites still felt like they were in a trap. Verse 9 says that they're by the sea, and when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were very afraid. In in the NIV it says they were terrified, and the children of Israel cried out to God. Who wouldn't be terrified when you've escaped and the army's coming? I mean, all those people that escaped various prisons, a lot of times they're told to be shot on sight. Uh, scary stuff. Uh, so this is basically the normal consequence of escaping is getting killed. So the, the Israelites give in to fear. And we notice that fear does in verses, what fear does in verse 11 and 12. They say to Moses, because there are no graves in Egypt, you brought us out here to the desert to die? Like what in the world? Uh, why did you bring us out of Egypt? We were happy back there serving the Egyptians. Why did you take us out to this place to die? And so they're, they're, you know, they're just giving in to normal human fear. They're afraid of dying. Uh, but they had their eyes on the army that was pursuing them instead of the Lord who was leading them. And Israel was afraid. Seems like they have a remarkably short memory. God had just done all these plagues in Egypt and rescued them miraculously with the Passover thing, and and yet here they are, terrified. You think God would really rescue you with all those miracles, only to have you perish once you got out? Like what? The psalmist records in uh, Psalm 106. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember the multitude of your mercies but rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make his power known. God is faithful, even when we are not, praise God. It's interesting that Israel trusted God for their deliverance when they were in Egypt, but now that they're actually free and their circumstances look bleak, they just seem to, the trust seems to evaporate. And you know what? If we as Christians have trusted God for salvation, for the salvation of our souls, for to overcome sin. Don't you think during the journey when we run into difficulties that God will, will still rescue us, just like he did the Israelites? You think that he'll just go, oh, well, you know, I, I sacrificed my son Jesus for them 2,000 years ago. Now they're off on their own. They're just going to have to make it on their own. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Romans 8 says a lot about how... Because Jesus gave his life for us, God will give us all things. Your current situation, it might be dire. I think of the Haddad's running, COVID-19 running rampant in their home. That's not a good thing. 
Uh, or, or I think of my son Kendall, you know, COVID kind of ruining his career. Uh, or Wolfgang with a disease that really is supposed to be terminal. I mean, these are desperate things. You kind of go like, oh, maybe COVID has taken away your job or your finances are, have gone bleak. Or maybe your spouse has rejected you. Or maybe your highway is, or your child is on a highway to hell, so to speak. I mean, I don't know what you're struggling with. And it may seem very bleak. And I remember one, one day about oh, three years ago, crying out to the Lord all night because something looked terribly, terribly bleak in my life. Uh, and it was awful. And I was terrified. And yet, God is faithful when we cry out to him. We have to remember who God is in our situations. Gladys uh, Alward was a missionary to China more than uh, 80 years ago. And she was forced to flee when the Japanese invaded Yansheng. Uh, she could not leave her work behind. And so with only one assistant, she took a hundred orphans under her wing and, and uh, went on a trek across the mountains over to free China. During that harrowing journey, the difficult train, terrain, the lack of food, the lack of supplies, the fear of capture caused Gladys to grapple with despair as she never had before in her life. And after passing a sleepless night, she faced the morning with no hope of reaching safety. And a 13-year-old girl in the group reminded of her of the much-loved story of Moses and the Israelites crossing the, the Red Sea. And Gladys, in despair, said, But I'm not Moses! And the little girl said, Of course you aren't, but Jehovah's still God. <laughs> I love that. What a great response by this little 13-year-old fleeing for her life across the mountains. It's just completely awesome. No matter how inadequate we feel, God is still God. And we can put our trust in Him. Thirdly, God's plans do not need your help. <laughs> I'm telling you, this is, this is my nemesis. I'm always thinking that God's plans need my help. And he doesn't need my help. He does require my obedience, but he doesn't need my help. Uh, you know, so many stories in the Old Testament we see that God doesn't need our help. God's answer through Moses to the murmuring Israelites is found in the beginning of verse 13. God says to Moses and Moses to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance of the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see them again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to stand still. You notice that, that God gives these instructions to Moses, and Moses tells the people, and he really gives them four instructions. The first instruction is, you don't need to be afraid. You're all terrified. You don't need to be afraid. And you know, today, we don't need to be afraid, no matter what our circumstances are. If you look through uh, in the book of Matthew, Matthew talks about, you know, all the hairs of our head are number. We don't need to fear about the future. We are God's. And he loves us. He cares for us. And he clothes the, the flowers of the field and the birds of the air he gives nests to. If, they, if he looks after them, he's going to look after us. So do not fear is the number one thing. Secondly, he says, stand firm. 
This is a, a, something that we need to do a lot in our Christian faith, to not start to renege on what we believe or, or to say, oh, this is too much for me. I can't handle it. It doesn't seem like God is involved here. Uh, you know, frustration of why am I sick? Uh, why isn't God's protective power helping me? Why is everyone in the office doing great and I'm doing badly? Like what is going... God says, stand firm. Don't, don't give in to the dismay that you see around you. And then the next thing, I love this next one. He says, Moses says, see what the Lord will accomplish for you today. In other words, watch. Just stand there and watch. You don't have to do anything. Just watch. Look at that. <laughs> Three times in this passage, it says, uh, you will see, you will see, you will never see again. Uh, this is all about looking. That's all you're doing. You're just going to watch, see how God delivers. That's pretty cool. And then the fourth thing is hold your peace. Keep your silence. It's the hardest thing to do. Because we feel we've got to tell someone about our problems, our predicaments, you know. How many times have you sat with a bunch of people and just griped about the pandemic, griped about the government, how they're handling the pandemic, griped about everything, just, ugh, just. Have you ever thought of, like, praising the Lord for vaccines? Praising the Lord that our government is doing something? Praising the Lord that, you know, maybe you didn't get sick? I don't know. But no, we tend to just grape about it. <laughs> uh, you know, we often do the opposite of these four things, don't we? We're usually afraid. Second, instead of standing and firm, we, we tend to run. Third, we rather fight than watch. Uh, and, and fourth, we tend to complain to everybody that listens. I don't know about you, but for me, the worst is that I tend to fight. I mean, I, I when I'm in a problem, I just want to work harder. I just got, well, I got to think this thing through. I got to figure this out. I got to spend more time on it, throw more energy at it, throw more money at it. How am I going to fix this thing? <laughs> That's my personality, I'm telling you. Uh, stubborn as a mule, I guess. Or determined. I don't know which is better, but anyways. But the Lord has to break that sometimes. Uh, you know, they could have lifted the banner of surrender, white flag. Hey, okay, we, we'll come back. Or they could have taken their chances with fighting. Or they could have run out to the rocks in the desert. But no, God gives us amazing, this amazing prophecy. He says, you know, you just have to watch. Stand still. Um, now, of course, this prophecy was for the Israelites. And you might say to me, well, pastor, you know, this is a great prophecy for the Israelites. But really, this isn't a prophecy to me and my predicament today. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that some more uh, a little later on. But for now, I just want to say, Lord God, we need your voice. We need your prophetic voice in our life. We need prophets in your church today so that we can hear what you are saying and that you would speak to us in our lives. And so this is my prayer for us, Eastgate, today, that God would send us prophets that would be able to speak right into our day-to-day situation and allow us to hear his voice in the middle of our struggle. Uh, and maybe God will use me, I don't know, but this is my, my desire. 
Um, but more about this later. So God comes to Moses in verse 15, and he says, why are you crying out to me? I love that. You know, like, what are you whining about? <laughs> you know, like, what? Uh, there's a huge army coming to kill us? You know, like, uh, uh, and God says, tell the Israelites to go forward. Okay, enough crying out now. Enough prayer. Time to start moving. And sometimes that's what our that's how God responds to our cries of despair. Okay, time to just get going. What? There's an ocean. I can't go. There's something blocking my way. You know? Uh, but this is the obedience part where we need to obey God and get moving. And Moses is told to stretch out his rod over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel uh, shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Unbelievable. Come on, really? But that's what Moses tells the people. He says, okay, get ready to go. And they start assembling themselves. And then he goes out to the front and stretches his arm over the sea. God's, and this is the fourth point. God's plans are not limited to what is humanly possible. Amen? <laughs> it's not limited. Then Mo, it says in verse 21 and 22, then Moses stretched his hand over the sea and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea into dry land and the waters were divided so that the Israelites, the children of Israel, sorry, went through the midst of the sea on dry ground and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. <laughs> Incredible. Now, just just for a point here, this was not just a tiny little channel, okay? This had to be at least three miles wide. And you might go, like, how do you know that? Well, if the Israelites were their 600 fighting, 600,000 fighting men, we assume at least two million Israelites. If they were walking two by two through the middle of the Red Sea in this narrow little corridor the uh, line would be like 80 miles long. <laughs> and it would take like 35 days to get through. No, this, this thing had to be so that 5,000 could, could walk abreast through it. The only way you can get 5,000 people through the, through the waters is to have it like three miles wide. <laughs> this is pretty incredible. So maybe they could see the, the water way off in the distance over there or maybe over on that side, depending on which side they were closest to. But this was a wide, dry area. And so the conclusion of the story is found, it starts in verse 23. The Egyptians pursued after them into the middle of the sea. And it came to pass that in the morning of the watch, the Lord looked down just, just when sun was breaking. You know, So actually, you know what, what happened was the, the pillar of fire that was giving light to the Israelites was at the back of the army. And the clouds were behind that. So the darkness was on the Egyptians and the light was on the Israelites. So the Israelites could go through the middle of the sea on dry ground with light. And then that cloud and pillar of fire moved forward with them. And so the, the, the Egyptians may not even have known that they were going into the middle of a trap. They might not have realized that there was water piled up three, a mile and a half that way and a mile and a half that way because it was dark. And then when morning breaks, they're in the middle of this uh, dead sea, of the sea, the Red Sea, or, or uh, probably one of the arms of the Red Sea. And, and they're, they're like, 
and then, it, well, then it says, uh, the Lord said to Moses, uh, stretch out your hand over the sea and the waters may come back upon the Israelites, uh, the Egyptians in their chariots and horsemen. And uh, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. And the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. I want to just go back up a few verses where it talks about the Egyptians. Uh, you know, the Lord starts making the chariots, the wheels fall off, you know, and the Egyptians are freaking out. And uh, they said to one another, let's flee from the face of Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. They realized, oh my goodness, we are in serious trouble. As morning dawns, they see the water. They see the, that their chariots, wheels are falling off, that, that they're in trouble. And then they try to turn around, but it's too late. The waters crash down over them. And the Lord strikes down all of the Israelites together. But the Israelites, or all of the Egyptians, sorry, together. But the Israelites walk through the middle of the sea with walls of water to the left and to the right. And so the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptian dead on the seashore. And then if you go down to verse 31, it says, Thus Israel saw the great work that the Lord had done. In Egypt, so the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and His servant Moses. So, in conclusion, I want to just share that uh, by coming to the Red Sea was just as much part of God's plan as crossing it. A predicament in God's hands is only a highway to the Promised Land. Did you catch that? A predicament in God's hand is only a highway to the promised land. Why does God allow these predicaments to happen in our life? Because it often takes place in these tight places to get us to look up to him for help. You remember that story of the dune buggy. If I hadn't been stranded out there in the middle of nowhere, I would have never looked up to God and asked in prayer. And this has happened to me repeatedly. I can tell you story after story after story where it's because I got in a predicament that I cried out to God. You know, you know, a lot of times people look up to me, oh, you're a great pastor and everything. But, but you know this verse in the Bible that says, be continually in prayer? I, I'm sorry, that's not me. I, I, I wish it were, but it's not. I, I'm not continuously in prayer. And so the Lord has to throw down some predicaments to get me, shake me up a little bit and get me involved in prayer again. And, and that's the way God does it. Um, Chuck Swindoll says, it may be that you have developed a rather materialistic lifestyle like Moses and the children of Israel. You have rubbed shoulders with the folk in Egypt most of your life. You worked with the Egyptians. You, like, you think like Egyptians. You read Egyptian newspapers. You listen to Egyptian music. You do commercial uh, battles with Egyptian entrepreneurs. You're in the competitive world with Egyptians. And so it's only natural that you react like them. Don't react like the Egyptians. React like the children of God who are trusting God. And what, So I, I want to just ask you, what impossible situations are you facing today? Well, the good news of this story is that God is going to rescue them. God had a plan. Now, remember I said that God's plan was for Israel, and that's true. God's plan in this case was for Israel. But what about 
for us. You know, the Bible is filled with promises for us. Uh, John 4, verse 4, 1 John 4 says that you, dear children, are from God and overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Have you ever considered that? Or submit yourselves to God, resist the, the devil, and he will flee from you. Have you ever considered that? The Bible says the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them and he delivers them from all their troubles. So just because this specific promise was to the Israelites and not to us specifically, we can go through the Bible and realize that God has specific or general promises for us. When we cry out to him and we're righteous, he answers. And we're righteous in Christ, right? The, the Bible promises that we have weapons to fight with that have divine power to demolish strongholds. The Bible says that if the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Bible says that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The Bible says be strong in the Lord's mighty power. <laughs> These are great promises. The Bible says that sin will no longer be your master because you are not under law but under grace. Oh, hallelujah. What a great promise. Uh, and let me close with this amazing promise. No temptation has taken you, overtaken you except what is common to man. But God is faithful. And he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But with the temptation will also make a way of escape. That's what we've been talking about this morning, haven't we? That you will be able to bear under it. God says he's going to be faithful in no matter what predicament you find yourself in, particularly in that sin predicament. God is going to be faithful. Uh, so isn't it time for us to trust God's escape plan, put our faith in him, and allow him to do these miracles as we stand and watch what God's going to do in your life? Let's bring our needs to him in prayer. And I, I just would ask that you start with your particular predicament. And just give it to God, and then I'll, I'll close in just a second. Lord, we are people who get caught in predicaments regularly. But Lord, you are a God who saves out of predicaments. And so, Lord, we come to you today and we just give you, we offer our lives to you, our predicaments, our difficulties to you. And Lord, we put our faith in you that you are a God that allows these things into our life. In fact, you may have led us into these very predicaments that we are facing. And so, Lord, we're thankful that we can trust you, that you know what you're doing and that you're leading us the right way. And so we ask, Lord, that you would help us to be faithful in the middle of our predicaments. And, Lord, we look to you for your deliverance, the deliverance that you promised in the Scriptures in many places, in many ways. Lord, you promised to deliver us from sin. Lord, you promised to give us good things in this life and that your gifts are good. And so, Lord, on based on these promises that we have power in this world, Lord, we come to you and ask that you would deliver us from this time in our life, from these difficulties that we've experienced. 
And Lord, make your, your deliverance amazing, we pray. And that we would be able to look back on the deliverance and say, yeah, this is what God did for me over and over again. For we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.